Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Truth Perspective. My name is Corey Schink, and joining me in the studio today are Elon Martin. Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year to you. And Harrison Cayley. Hello, yes. So today, we are going to be discussing Casimir uh, Dabrowski's theory of positive disintegration, but specifically, we're going to be talking about mental health and how modern concepts, as well as older concepts of mental health, will fit into his system and how we can better understand our own development in terms of his system. So his, uh, Dabrowski's psychological theories were rooted in his grasp of personality theory, his medical training, as well as his studies under such luminaries as uh, Jean Piaget, uh, the famous developmental psychologist, and extensive training in those fields. But they're also rooted in his experiences during the, both the First and the Second World War, being interned in German police camps and the Soviet occupation of Poland. He spoke of seeing the best and the worst in man during his lifetime, and how to square the existence of such good, such higher values with such evil, as well as the sleeping automaton that characterizes the rest of us and probably how to describe and explain his own experiences and the own changes in his personality as he moved through those uh, horrid experiences and became the brilliant psychologist that he was so how did any of that fit into the psychology of his day or even of our own you know, mental health as a concept back then was mainly uh, based on the idea of a lack of uh, mental disorders or a lack of negative symptoms. And the other psychologists of his era, you know, humanistic psychologists like Carl Rogers, were pushing to broaden that concept into a more positive look at what well-being and happiness and other, you know, uh, positive aspects of mental health uh, existed. But still, that really wasn't enough. Uh, and Dabrowski, you know, based on his extensive experience and his extensive knowledge, wanted to make a psychology that took all of the facts that were available and made them uh, and and uh, and fit them into the theory. So, and I think that's why he's so endearing to us here at SOT because he didn't blink in the face of everything. He he didn't try and cut things out. He tried his best in order to understand. Uh, humanity, our development, and what it really meant to be mentally healthy in an insane, often just unbelievably insane world. So with that, guys, do you have any uh, thoughts about uh, mental health in particular? Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to say that uh, a new book came out recently, just last year, um, called, let's see if I can read the title upside down, Pers Personality Development Through Positive Disintegration, the Work of Kazimierz Dabrowski by uh, William Tiller, um, uh, an original like student of Dabrowski and a long time um, like, supporter of his work and purveyor of his work. Uh, he's, he runs the website uh, positivedisintegration.com. I believe that's the name of it. And it's basically an overview of, of the entire theory, and it's, uh, it's pretty good. We've been reading it. And in that book, in the, in the section on mental health, he quotes the WHO, the World Health Organization's definition of mental health. So I'm just going to read that. They define it as a state of well-being in which the individual realizes his or her own abilities, can cope with the normal stresses of life, can work productively and fruitfully, 
and is able to make a contribution to his or her community. So that's how they define mental health. Now, Dabrowski, like Corey just mentioned, had a lot of problems with most definitions of mental health because he basically, I think, would, would have considered all of them, even the current, most of the current day ones, to be vastly oversimplified and to not take into account the kind of the, the complexities and all, the, all the, the little nuances of human behavior and you know what we might call mental health. So maybe to get into a bit of why he said that is because, as we've discussed in previous shows, his theory was what he called multi-level. He said you can't, um, well he didn't say, but he, in, not in, in so many words, he said you can't understand human psychology without taking into account the existence of multiple levels of reality, um, like within um, within the well, primarily within the mind. So the, the the multiple layers of reality that are perceived and that exist within the within human consciousness, and without accepting that some human beings exist like on a essentially a lower level than others, and that the, these differences are observable. And he would argue like scientifically um, valid and even uh, testable, and that's basically what his what his work constituted in the years that he was, uh, you know, researching and uh, teaching in Canada, um, you know, in the last decades of his life. And um, so if we just look at that statement from the WHO, I mean, so realizes, uh, you know, an individual realizes his or her own abilities. Well, even that right there, it's such a a vague kind of um, catch-all it's like, okay, well, what does that mean precisely? Well, we'd have to look at like individual cases or at least kind of like break it down into different types. Because I mean, well, let me just say that I think that, um, let's take the example of like a, a fairly successful serial killer. Like I'm talking about someone who has gotten away with serial murder for years, as most of them do. Um, has he or she, mostly he, realized their own abilities? Well, you know, if your ability is serial murder, then then arguably, yes. I mean, serial killers often, um, they put up a, a great mask of sanity. People don't realize it. So they're obviously successful to one degree or another in life. They're not obviously deranged. That's how they get away with what they do. And can cope with the normal stresses of life. Well, psychopaths in particular, and, uh, well, psychopaths in general and serial killers in particular can cope with most stresses of life. I mean, maybe the only stress they can't cope with is the urge to is to commit serial murder, but um, I don't even know if we'd consider that. Well, we certainly wouldn't consider that the normal stresses of life. That's not a, a normal stress, right? And when you when you read accounts of serial killers, or I think this might have this might have even been in the the recent David Fincher show that he did for Netflix, um, Mind Hunters, I believe the name of it was. There's a there's a scene, and I might just be correct me if I'm wrong. The people who have seen it, but this might just um, this might be from something else, and I'm just in, injecting it in my memory of Mindhunters. But the um, there's this one serial killer who basically would drive around, and there's one scene in particular I'm thinking of. He's basically got a body in the back of his car, and gets pulled over by the cops, and he's just like totally fine, no stress whatsoever. Even and a lot of serial killers will even um, like get out of the car, walk towards the the trunk and say, oh, well, do you want to take a look? And either so confident that, the, that their willingness to open the trunk will um, make the cop not want to pursue looking in the trunk, or it's just like a dare, and they're just taking a risk, and that even that will 
you know, give them a little something, a, a, a little bit of pleasure. So there's like the duping delight and just the the thrill of taking a, an unnecessary risk. And um, so psychopaths, like I said, and not just psychopaths, but more people than that, um, can deal with stresses just fine. In fact, that's one of the arguments that Dabrowski made is that a lot of people are what we would, what like let's say the mainstream psychological community would say extremely resilient because things don't stress them out as much as they would stress out like the neurotic, like artistic type, the the type. And I think that's the type that gets represented the most because those are the types of people that make like art and movies and write novels. So you see that um, projected into the the culture. Whereas if you just meet ordinary people, they're fairly resilient. They get over things fairly quickly. So to deal with uh, with the normal stresses of life, that seems to be um, not uh, not a slam dunk case for mental health because people who would we who we would just intuitively and naturally consider severely mentally ill um, can cope with stress. And let's see, can work productively and fruitfully. Okay, well, um, well, we already kind of covered that, but. Uh, I'd say that is a, a positive thing. It's a positive thing for society. Is it a definition of mental health? Well, we'll get into that a bit later, too. And is able to make a contribution to his or her community. Um, again, we'd have to look at specifics. It's, it's like um, a contribution. Well, what kind of contribution? You know, I'm, I'm guessing a positive contribution. So we'd be judging the, the contribution in terms of the kind of values of the society in which that individual lives. Um just going on that, you know, without getting into specifics, again, we run into a problem. It's like, um, what do you what do you do when you have an individual who is doing something in a society that the vast majority of the world population would consider um, evil? Let's say, like, um, consider like a high ranking functionary in you know Nazi Germany or the, the Soviet Union, and you know one of them making a great contribution to their to like Nazi society. I mean, just, uh, and I don't like using Nazis, but sometimes I do like using them, just because it's a cliche, but at the same time, it's a, you know, it's the go-to example, so you might as well use it. Um, and so what about an, an individual in that uh, community, in that society, who does something that is goes against the rules of that society? That doesn't make a contribution because what they are doing is socially prescribed, and and um, and in fact they might pay a high price for doing whatever they're doing. Um, you know, is that person mentally healthy, or are they mentally ill? Um, you know, the leadership of such a society would consider them mentally ill, and has in the past. Um, in Ponderology, there's a um, you know chapters and multiple references to the abuse of psychiatry in. Um, like so in communist countries and how the the mental health uh, the label of mental health the the category of mental health was used to um, persecute uh, dissidents essentially with the label of being mentally unhealthy maybe schizophrenic or antisocial so there are all kinds of distinctions that we can already find in such like in a such a simple example or such a simple definition that shows that there has to be something more to it and i think that's what uh that's what Dabrowski was really aiming at, is that he wanted something precise, something that was actually descriptive of reality, where you couldn't find these holes in the, in the definition, find these like um, multiple interpretations to these vague, um, overarching statements. So that's where, partially, where multi-levelness comes in. Some things can be 
you know, good from one level and bad from another and vice versa. That's not, ne- that's not necessarily relativism. It's only relativism in the sense that when you compare two things, you know, um, um, from the standards of one, the other doesn't fit. And from the standards of that other one, the first one doesn't fit. Um, that's, just, uh, that's just the way things go. But there is, so he wasn't a relativist, but he, um, he was definitely objective about the, the existence of values. Um, well, that's another subject. I'll just leave that at that. Um, so Dabrowski, one of the kind of shocking things I think that, uh, well, one of the things that he often wrote and said that would be shocking to people who have who are just becoming um, acquainted with his work is that he didn't consider a well-socialized person mentally healthy. So like your average, average citizen who is, um, you know, who who has holds a good job and has decent relationship with their family and is productive in their community, he didn't necessarily consider that person mentally healthy. And I say that um, precisely. You know, didn't necessarily. They may well they may well be, but just by virtue of those features, um, you can't say if that person is mentally healthy. Mm-hmm. Did you want to add something in there, Elon? Well, yeah. Um, so he breaks down what is or or may not be mentally healthy in terms of how well adjusted you are to certain things and and he breaks it down in four different ways he says that at the lowest level negative maladjustment is an unproductive rebellion from social norms so so that's the bottom rung that that's where you're so obviously kind of uh sociopathic and um you know uh, just Kind of oppositional to the the very basic norms of society that you're, what he would call negatively maladjusted. At the next level, he would say that the most common t- type of adjustment is negative adjustment. This is adjustment to what is the status quo of society, which is I think what you were alluding to, Harrison, which is which is to say that you're you're ambling along your your status quo your uh, you're kind of doing the bare minimum to not be considered an outlier or antisocial, and you're just going along to get along. You're pretty much uh, accepting ideas that come your way without much critical thought or um, or attention. And and then he says that the first signs of development are indicated by positive maladjustment to what is. So that would mean a kind of a critical distance from from the the types of things that you're exposed to um uh, a space from which you're you're beginning to look at things uh more questioningly um and this is a kind of a platform or or jumping off point from which one can develop further and finally he says this culminates in the highest level a positive developmental adjustment to what ought to be and that's, that gets back to uh, what you started to say a moment ago about values. Um, so what Dabrowski is suggesting is that uh, each person in the course of their development, um, if they aspire to develop, uh, are looking at their, their own relationship to their own values as a, as a kind of ladder towards developing themselves. Um, and what it means is that they're they're really thinking critically and integrating those values, those ideas, those aspirations, uh, those ideals for themselves that they um, that they're working towards on a daily basis. They're they're 
trying to grow their being, um, so to say, uh, in, in order to uh, reach um, uh, a higher self, uh, if you will. Um, and Dabrowski says that this is a, basically a, a lifelong process. It's not something, you know, that you've, you've kind of gotten better at or, or you've reached a certain level of status and, and now you think, oh, I've made it. Uh, or, you know, oh, I wasn't an asshole in most situations last week. I, I think I'm a better person. It's a, it's a constant striving towards um, being better and reevaluating um, one's values. Yeah, and I think this is why just the, the sheer absence of, of negative symptoms is, doesn't mean anything really to Dabrowski. In fact, it's probably a bad sign because, um, as you said, Ilan, that when you, you have to suffer and you have to test things and you have to go through experiences that uh, prove to you what values you really have to understand, to you know, experiment really with what your values are, to understand who you are as a person. And when you are you know, pursuing that path of development, which I think having that, the developmental uh, capacity is, is really part of what uh, it makes someone mentally healthy in Dabrowski's view, uh, view. But when, when pursuing that path of development, you are going to go through uh, periods of great you know, conflicts, inner conflicts, as you know, because we all have to struggle with you know the the lower nature, whatever uh, as you you know as you could call it, and and then you know just struggling with that, and then struggling with that how that impacts the environment produces you know external conflicts. It produces internal conflicts, and so just because you have the symptoms of you know depression or you know anxiety or something like that doesn't mean that you're mentally ill. As long as there is some developmental capacity that's being born, as long as there's some fruit that's being manifested in your life, as you are beginning to learn and understand uh, what is objectively good, what is what you should be the person that you want to be as opposed to who you are. You know, that's the difference, you know, between, you know, that, uh, you know, just negative adjustment, I guess, and you end the positive adjustment is that when you know what should be because of, you know, just the, uh, the experience with what is and how it isn't what should be. Mm -hmm. Well, just to back up a second, we used, uh, or you introduced those terms um, the different, the negative and positive adjustments and maladjustments. Well, maybe just to <clears throat> to back that up a bit. The you'll often hear in um, discussions of mental health this concept of adjustment. So, are you a well-adjusted individual? And if there's like a a, um, a teen, for instance, who acts out and who engages in you know various semi-normal you know antisocial teenage behaviors, you say that teen is maladjusted. Know, not well adjusted, and so what does that mean? Well, it's how well are you <clears throat> adjusted to kind of the norms of society, um, and that concept is often limited to just those two options: adjustment or maladjustment. <clears throat> so, right away, again, you you find that there's a, a vagueness and there are kind of internal contradictions in those those two concepts because, um, well, what if being maladjustment, or is there a, is there a situation where being maladjusted is actually a good thing? Well, obviously there is. Um, I think everyone would agree that everyone would agree with that. Um, so I think that the people that using those terms really haven't thought it through enough to to 
Because if they had thought it through enough, they wouldn't be using those terms. They'd be using the terms Dabrowski used because there are exceptions. So he said, oh, well, you know, there's good and bad adjustment and there's good and bad negative or good and bad maladjustment. And so that's where he, uh, you know, when you first read it, it's like, okay, well, that, you know, that makes total sense. Well, I just want to get into a bit, bit uh, about why it makes sense. So, of course, you introduce the first one, negative maladjustment. So these would be like antisocial uh, criminal, criminal um, behaviors in people who reject um, societal norms just uh, like outright um, and act against societal norms um, because they're, Dabrowski would say they're, they're operating based purely on their like inst primal instinctive behaviors like, uh, you know, aggression, sex, um, um, acquisitiveness and, you know, power over other people. And these are basically... You know, it's basically the the majority of the the kind of people that you find in prison for <clears throat> violent crimes and um, things of that sort. And then, then you get to this one, which is I think where there's probably the most controversy: the negative adjustment. Um, that just the kind of average person who abides by social norms. This would be the well-adjusted, well-socialized individual in society. And so that that's what Dabrowski would consider. No, not that that is not healthy. Um, that's just unqualified conformity. So why why is that necessarily a bad thing? Well, it's like I said earlier, it's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, in many ways, it's probably either a neutral thing or even like a slight positive thing. Because at least at least when people are conforming to a, a certain set of societal rules, they're all getting along um, to the you know to to a degree at least um, more so than they would be if they were all negatively maladjusted, just going around killing each other. And stealing from each other and all that—it basically like this. What, what people, ha what uh, what most people would consider like a state of anarchy, where everyone's just at each other's throat. That doesn't work, obviously. So, what's so bad about unqualified conformity? Well, as long as the rules are good, things can get by, right? The problem with that is that if you're a person who just strictly conforms to societal values without any kind of reflection on why you're conforming to those values and whether it is good or not to conform to those values, where does that leave you? Well, that means you're the type of person that if the values will change, you'll accept those values too. And you will be, like Jordan Peterson likes to say, you'll be one of the camp guards at, uh, at Auschwitz and, you know, tough luck for, for you and tough luck for everyone that's, you know, under your under your power. that So conformity is not a virtue, um, strict, uh, precisely because it is um, ambivalent. You know, It can go one way or the other. It's strictly everyone else is doing this, so I'm going to do it too. There's nothing, um, it, nothing intrinsically good about that. Um, the only possible good is that you know, if the rules are good, then at least you're not killing other people, right? But it leaves you open to the, like the, the worst the, the worst features of conformity, um, like mob behavior, like we discussed with Gustave Le Bon. And so that can't be a good thing in and of itself. So where do we find the goodness? Well, that's where he gets the, to the next level. So the first sign of that, um, you know, of actual development and of mental health is positive maladjustment. That's when a person says, well, just wait a second here. Um, no, you know, I, I actually think that's wrong. Everyone else is doing it, but I don't see the value in it. Now, um, I, now, again, we have to make the distinction between negative and, pal and positive maladjustment. So whenever, I guess you could do a, a little like experiment in 
um, you know, self-analysis or self-awareness, and to 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 identify those those um, values and just things in general that you disagree with about, let's let's say, society. Then you have to ask yourself, well, wh what is the source of that maladjustment? What is the source of the maladjustment? maladjustment between myself and society is it actually a positive thing i think oftentimes like you know like with teenagers it's not necessarily a, a positive thing there might be some positive things in there but oftentimes it is just a rebellion against authority for the sake of rebellion against authority and that's not necessarily a good thing that's just like the the expression of the the kind of primitive um like egotism of uh you know a young person who's full of themselves and who doesn't really have any experience of the world and um uh, any kind of deep insight into themselves or society, the society around them. But at the same time, that the, the maladjustment is that first sign. You know, when when you can look at something and say, "Well, no, actually, <clears throat> that is that may be the way things are, but things can be better." And probably the first sign of uh, of true mental health, of like actual personal development, would be the maladjustment within oneself to be able to look at oneself and the uh, and one's own behaviors and say wait a second mm -hmm. that's not how i should be you know and the the best cases are where you're doing everything that's right right you're doing everything you're doing you're following all the rules you're doing everything that should be right but there's something inside of you that says well you know wait a second something isn't right here this may be the way things are but they're but it's not the way things could be in fact uh, you know, I, I hold a, I, I have a, an inkling of, uh, of an ideal, something that is greater than this, and it, it pains me. You know, I feel like remorseful for the fact that I am not living up to that ideal. That might be the, the first sign of actual mental health, because in one of his works, Dabrowski actually defined mental health as follows: development towards higher levels of mental functions towards the discovery and realization of higher cognitive, moral, social, and aesthetic values and their organization into a hierarchy in accordance with one's own authentic personality ideal. So Dabrowski actually set the bar really high. Like that's the, defi the definition of mental health. Without, those, without that trajectory and without that, uh, you know, the, that form of, of consciousness, you know, you're not mentally healthy. As long as you are limited to um, unconsciously acting out your either your either your primitive um, instincts and desires or um, unconsciously following the just the the rules of society, you are not mentally healthy. Um, it, like full stop. That's what what Dabrowski would say. But he'd say, but um, you know, so what is the result of this path of development where you where you consciously um, consciously look at the your own uh, your own features your own actions um, by reference to you know a higher ideal the ideal you hold for yourself uh, on the way you should be the way you could be and at the same time looking at society looking at all the different all the features of the people around you and the wider society around you and saying okay well which of those features are actually positive um, which of those laws are actually right and good and useful which are not and basically looking at everything and making a determination for oneself, you know, will I, um, will I accept that to be incorporated into my being, into my structure, the structure of my personality? And so you're like a, a guard at the, you know, on, on the moat of your own like personal castle. It's like, what are you going to let in? And you're not going to let anything in that doesn't conform 
to your ideal. Like that would be the, the definition of, of, of a mentally healthy person. So when you, when you uh, like theoretically at least, when you have that person, what does it look like? Well, I think that they will, people like that will have some, um, some features that, that um, well, they'll have features that when looked at from the outside will look like any of the four different levels. Right, so you might see someone who is acting in a way that goes against social norms. Now, for the people that support those social norms, they they will see that as criminal behavior. They'll see that as something that is bad and that needs to be stamped out. So um, often, the the most developed people will be persecuted as criminals because the wider society just sees the fact that they're not conforming, and that's a that's a bad thing. Um, you know. Um, un, un, it's an unqualified bad thing. It's just nope, that can't happen. But then you'll also see, and I think this is um, this is where people who might be put off by uh, you know Dabrowski's saying that socially or well socialized people aren't mentally healthy. Um, well, when you f when you have a person who has created this hierarchy of values for themselves, I think you often find that to a large degree they do follow the law. They do act in socially acceptable ways. So they will appear to a large degree to be well socialized. Because um, one of the, probably one of the values of a lot of these people is to, um, uh, well, this is a, probably an overly simplified way of putting it, but to get along with other people, for the most part, right? There will, to get along with other people, but always with the um, exception of when that is not the right thing to do. Because it's not, it's always not, it's not always the right thing to get along with people. There will be times when conflict of one sort or another is necessary, especially if, um, you know, if that if tr uh, trying to avoid that conflict either goes against your personality ideal or would lead to um, a future scenario that goes against, you know, your um, your ideal self or your ideal of you know the way in which you interact with the world or the 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 like the vision you have of the way the world should be. Um, so if you avoid conflict, that could um, theoretically, in many situations, lead to a uh, you know a disaster of one sort of another, one sort or another. Yeah, I think uh, just I just wanted to go back and touch on what you were talking about the castle, you know, and you're the guardian of that, you're at the moat guarding everything that comes in and out of the castle, um, and. You know, when you when you say that, it it makes me think of the extreme amount of effort that it takes for one individual to build a castle, and that is the uh, I think that's where disintegration plays such a huge role in Dabrowski's way of thinking. Because what you're given, what we all get when we you know we just kind of appear into this world, and then we we're just getting along to get along, and you know we learn what's right and what's wrong. We learn um, you know by our parents by how we get disciplined, how we get punished, what our peers like, what they don't like. And, you know, we reach a, you know, a point where, you know, possibly we, we start to manifest these signs of positive uh, maladjustment at some point in your life. And then the, the great gulf between that and, you know, this, even the process of, of, of designing the castle is the fact that all of that that you have built everything that was actually built for you, all of the weird little mechanisms that you adapted and you adopted and the, the beliefs and everything, they, um, they collapse. 
You know, they like you, uh, like Dabrowski would say that you know you don't just build upon this other layer. What happens is that there is a disintegration of all of these ideas mm -hmm. because they you need to have this conscious element of consciously chosen based on information, based on you know self education, which is another big important part of his uh, idea of development. That you have to critically construct design fabricate your your own self and i think maybe that's why you know you 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 aren't mentally healthy until you've reached that point because you don't have a mind of your own mm -hmm. you know you have to build your own mind in order to have a healthy you know mind right dabrowski puts this in a dichotomy of passions versus reason and how the two can't necessarily coexist that there has to be uh a will to exercise reason over one's passions, over one's emotions, over one's desires, over one's whims. Um, so there's a real kind of um, affirmation of uh, of one's own exercising of one's own cognitive will uh, towards towards building this castle. And you know, like you were saying, Corey, you you can't just you can't build, you know, structure on top of dilapidated uh, or or half-built structure. There does have to be this disintegration, which is um, necessarily a, sometimes kind of painful, um, especially if one is being honest with oneself about what one is, you know, one's actions and the fact that one's behaviors or actions are not consistent with uh, an ideal that that uh, a person holds for oneself. So um, this is, uh, and this is something I really like about his, his, his writing as well, and, and that is that while it may look like a person is, is going a little crazy or depressed or acting neurotic, uh, they might actually be undergoing the process of disintegrating, which may not be apparent to anyone else who, who's, you know, viewing things from the outside, but... Um, when a person is engaged in this process within themselves, it it's it can be messy. It can be uh, it can be very difficult. Um, and I think you know it's also necessary. It's also this kind of a uh, place from which a person can can grow. Um, so you know if we have all of these internal structures that that no longer work or, or fit the ideals that we've uh, we've come to uh, want for ourselves, then it seems necessary to to do a little creative destruction within ourselves, uh, taking a wrecking ball to um, to to behaviors and and the thoughts and and thinking that has informed you know doing stupid things. Um, another term he he puts out or or. Tillier suggests is auto psychotherapy. So, you know, this is being brutally honest with oneself uh, to the extent that that it's possible to do so, and and kind of examining all the thoughts and uh, emotions that um, stand under or underlie the reasons why we do so much of what we do. Um, so it is a messy process, or it can be a messy process. Uh, but I don't see any other way around it uh, if if we are 
thinking of an ideal version of ourselves or, or consciously working towards uh, an idealized version of ourselves. Well, maybe we can talk, <clears throat> talk a little bit about symptoms because um, Dabrowski does do that too. It's not like he just totally ignores the issue. Um, there, but the way to look at it would be with this multi-level perspective. So to just take one example, if someone's depressed, you know, Dabrowski would say, well, just being depressed isn't a sign of anything. Um, you know, one way or the other. Well, it's a sign of something, but it's not a sign necessarily of, um, you know, what level that depression is occurring on, because he says that there are there are uh, levels to different types of symptoms. So the depression might be a low-level depression, or it might be a, a high-level, like, developmental depression, and that there are differences between the two. So he might, he might look at, um, you know, look at a, a certain individual and say, oh, well, you know, that person actually is mentally unhealthy, for various reasons, and they do present with you know traditional negative symptoms that we would classify as uh, men mental illness. But the exception that the exception that he adds in is a big exception, because for the most part in like psychology today and in just pop culture or well, just culture in general, um, symptoms are uniformly seen as bad and as uh, you know mental illness of some degree. They aren't seen as developmental or as positive things, but Again, we have to look at this from the from this perspective of um, you know making these fine distinctions, because can you like imagine your life without presenting any symptoms of you know mental imbalance? Um, I think if you if you think about it closely, you'll you'll realize that if that were the case, then you would be a, a, an extremely um, like inhuman individual, because imagine being able to look at everything that goes on in the world without being disturbed to one degree or another. Like, because if, like, let's say just you go by the standard definition of mental health and you're, you know, you're coping and you're, you're realizing your own abilities and you're working productively. Well, imagine doing all that while the world's falling apart around you and, you know, your neighbors are killing each other and, uh, you know, you're, the, <laughs> the government is setting up concentration camps and killing thousands of people at a time and you're just like, oh, great, yeah, well, I feel great. You know, I'm living a great life. I'm doing I'm doing productive work and nothing stresses me out. It's like uh, okay, well there's something wrong with that person, right? So naturally in that situation a person will be uh, depressed. He'll be anxious. And what is that a sign of? Well that's a sign that that's an actual human being having the right reaction to uh, you know a set of stimuli that are provoking that reaction within them. You wouldn't be a human if you um, if you didn't experience those things. Um, so well, so there's that. So then you've got all these all these symptoms. You've got anxieties and depressions and obsessions and compulsions and uh, my microphone for a sec. Sorry about that. <clears throat> so you've got all these things now. You know. So what's the framework to place them in? Um, well, that's essentially what Dabrowski does. You know, in his wider the, the wider aspects of his theory is to to place all of those things within their levels and uh, um, it's like a, a vast like complex mosaic of of the human personality, which you know, is the only way to do justice to the to, to human nature. Um, you can't fit human nature in these simplistic, um, you know, pictures that arguably most psychologists fit them in to, to this day. Um, where to move on from that? Uh, well, did you guys have anything to say about that? Yeah, I was just uh, thinking in terms of this, uh, the multi-levelness as being fundamentally unequal. Um, there's a fundamental inequality to the multi-level developmental potential 
of of people, according to Dabrowski's theory, according to his his research, and according you know to the world around us, it seems like there are some people who don't have a lot of potential to develop, and that's just who they are. While there are other people who um, who have the potential to develop, uh, but you know they they're, they're not really shown how to because it's not really mm-hmm. it's not fundamentally part of our you know what Jordan Peterson would call you know the dominance hierarchy. You know, we have a hierarchy, uh, you know, if you want to say it's based on competence or, or whatever in these different areas, but we don't, there is no room in that, you know, competence hierarchy yet or probably forever mm-hmm. for this, uh, this other vision of what uh, competence could be of a different kind of competence and, you mm-hmm. know, a multi-level form of competence. And I, what I found interesting reading through Dabrowski's work was his, uh, he described uh, three different types of people. Um, one that he called the average, which they're, you know, easily adjusted, negatively adjusted, um, balanced, moderately imbalanced to balanced mo- emotional lives. Then there were one-sided people uh, who were, he, he said, were eminent individuals, but they, they were developed in, in just one area. Mm-hmm. So I imagine, you know, it, just, you know, from his background, you know, a lot of the psychologists, a lot of the professionals that he, that he saw that were eminent and learned and intellectual, but they didn't have really any deeper uh, multi-level developmental mm-hmm. potential. They, you know, they were the kinds of people who could go write tomes and tomes on the philosophy and biology mm-hmm. of, you know, consciousness without ever knowing, you know, about yeah. how it doesn't exist. You know, so these would be like people that that are considered generally competent yes. in, their, in their spheres, but um, they're not overall competent. Um, you know, competent in, in various areas and you know, overall. And uh, I guess into that category, you could include like artists, you know, athletes, politicians, people who have, you know, a, a great degree of talent or ability or competence in one area. Um, but that's, when you look at their lives, that's all that they've developed. Yes. Um, and that might be all that they can develop. But then the third category, It right? was what he called the accelerated uh, category, mm-hmm. which were individuals who were overly excitable and they manifested uh, multi-sided and teleological uh, characteristics where they were they had an aim they had a goal they had there was something ineffable you know to their dreams to their intuitions um that made that life a little bit more you know made life more difficult for them mm-hmm. and for a lot of individuals who i think have those kind of developmental potentialities they are handicapped in the beginning and mm-hmm. probably for most people are handicapped lifelong by the kind of suffering and everything and by mm-hmm. the fact that most people you know as part of our you know society doesn't really recognize a lot of the the symptoms as developmental um symptoms Mm -hmm. or can give a a practical coaching as to Mm -hmm. how to how to progress how to develop a positive adjustment rather than just a positive maladjustment even if they can get that far well i want to say one thing about that one of the other things that dabrowski would say is that um, the people with the most developmental potential, so these would be the, the people in the accelerated or global um, you know, category that you just mentioned, they will, they will arguably um, develop and progress no matter what the society is around them. No matter whether they have the, you know, the, what you're talking about, the proper like, educational framework or not, they don't need that. Mm-hmm. That's the, those are the people who engage in like, self-education and self-psychotherapy, auto-psychotherapy, like you mentioned, Alon. Um, so like... D- despite the fact that society will 
arguably never have that proper kind of educational framework that presents these ideas, there will always be the individuals that develop regardless, um, because that's just in their in their developmental potential. Um, then there will be the the people um, that probably aren't included in that uh, in that in that three like tiered structure these would be like the negatively maladjusted like the lowest level individuals like the psychopaths they will never develop no matter how good the the social structures around them are um no no matter how good the educational framework is they will always be positively or negatively maladjusted um societal norms have no effect on them but then when you look at the the middle group well the average group and arguably even like the the one-sided group um, they are largely swayed one direction or the other, depending on the the social um, the, the social structure around them and the and the the hierarchy the larger hierarchy of values of the society around them. So these are the people that will be most influenced by like the the kind of like I'd say policy that you're suggesting, right? Where if there were to be this like wider acceptance of this kind of psychology, where um, um, like from a young age, you know, children are mentored and um, and taught about themselves and taught to to um, to work on themselves and see themselves. If there were this structure, still, like there are a lot of would be a lot of people that aren't really benefited by it because they don't have the capacity for the, that type of self awareness. But it would it would help out a lot of people who 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 just need that little push, who might not be um, like capable of this like global. Um, disintegration and personality like reintegration but who can benefit from from these kinds of like uh, interventions i suppose mm-hmm. or well, even just positive role models yeah yeah on that uh, on that one-sided development it just seems like that is the uh default goal of of most people in this world um you know w- what do you do what is your career are you successful at that career mm-hmm. uh, and while there's a lot to be said about being uh, successful and and um, and kind of uh, attaining certain levels of um, self-actualization through one's work, um, that seems to be the the one track uh, that most people in Western society are put on. All society, very young, yeah. yeah. So uh, that that is the default position, and uh, like you were saying, Harrison, there's very little in Western society to get people thinking along. Uh, the the road of an accelerated or universal development uh, to think about their their own growth as a as, in and of itself uh, their own um, kind of valuation of values of of ideals for themselves as things to aspire to in their character uh, in their um, in their being uh, that that seems to be something that's that's sorely lacking in in any kind of educational system that, that I'm aware of. Well, I don't even know if it's possible that it ever could exist. Just, you know, just statistically, like, you know, by what we've been saying about, uh, well, even Dabrowski himself would say that, you know, arguably the number of people who who are capable of what he would consider full personality development is, like, you know, is less than 1%. And the, the majority of people are what he would consider pr- like at the level of primary integration. Um, and... So just to, statistically, you're always going to get societies formed of a majority of people who can't develop. You're always going to get societies that are mentally unhealthy, like by his definition, to one degree or another. You'll get some that are more unhealthy than others, but arguably you'll never get a society that is run by um, you know, the, the most advanced individuals. Um, I just don't see how that could really happen. You know, Maybe you could get that in a small group, 
you know, of a, a, a small community that forms around, you know, one or more, you know, developed individuals, but to, to have that, um, you know, extend to any degree, like societally, I, I just, I, th- I think that's probably impossible. And even if, like, if we go by, um, like, standard histories of, the, like, the development of major religions, um, just accepting for a moment, like, the, the kind of mythical constructions of them, like, you have, like, a great man, like, like Christians consider Jesus, for instance. So let's say that, that Jesus would have been the greatest leader ever um, and would have created a perfect society. You know, it, it's a, well, this too is a fantasy, but just, you know, f- go along with me for a minute. So Jesus creates this perfect world. Well, then when Jesus dies, what happens? Well, then you get the, the change of power where the next leader comes in, who is almost certainly not to, will almost certainly not be um, as good a leader, you know, by leagues. Um, he'll be vastly inferior, and things will go back to normal. Um, you'll And whatever, like, changes are introduced by some great societal, like, cultural figure, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of them will stick around, but they'll they'll never retain the same... Um, you know, force that that person had, um, because you, it's basically people trying to imitate someone else. And when you try imitating someone else without being that person, without, without being at that level, then you get things wrong. Like, um, so you say you have like, you know, Jesus, (laughs) let's say this, you know, this mythical Jesus leader had, uh, you know, a set of sayings or something and, and he knew what those sayings meant and they were true. And then you get someone who doesn't really understand them because he can't understand them saying, oh, well, this is what that means. Okay, well, that means that in this situation, this is, this is what we should do. When actually, it's a total misinterpretation but just you know, by virtue of the, you know, the, the inadequacies of language and of, and of interpretation, that he just gets it totally wrong. That's, that's inevitably going to happen. So you're always going to have societies that, that uh, are not ideal. But at the same time, it, 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 so it is the, the probably the um, the goal and the you know the purpose of highly developed individuals to just introduce as much um, as much new value as they can within that society. Things will may- maybe nudge a little bit. Maybe it'll, it, you know it'll be like planting a um, you know a, what do they call those things? The time uh, time capsules. You know that that you know over generations people come back to and see and they they find a new wisdom in them. But um, the, I don't. I think that the the degree of influence that any like individual like that can have will always be limited by the limits of the people around them. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just thinking now of uh, President Putin mm-hmm. and the incredible amount of influence that he's had on his people, um, politically, socially, culturally. I mean, uh, as far as a leader that's been that's developed himself. Personally, I can't think of another one in contemporary history that even comes close. Uh, it's a musician, sportsman. The guy runs out to disasters and shows personal attention to his people. Uh, he has a wonderful team behind him that, that's acting with great prudence geopolitically. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's likely that uh, whoever succeeds Putin uh, could probably not... Uh, be at his level of of competence, of of care, of lifting up his whole country in the way that Putin has. By the same token, what he's done in the past twenty years is is I think, you know, uh, fifty years from now there will be statues and books written, you know, 
uh, all things being equal, about the guy and, and all that he's accomplished in turning his country around from a complete disaster into a viable, uh, um, proud, integrate, you, you know, to the extent that it's possible, integrated, successful uh, culture and society. So on the topic of what the, you know, the, the, uh, the person on their developmental path, the person seeking their ideal and how, you know, the, how that can affect time, you know, how you can probably never get a utopian society. I uh, found a really fascinating uh, quote from uh, a play that Dabrowski wrote. I think it was one of the, one of the last things that he wrote, correct me if I'm wrong though, but it's the play is called nothing can be changed here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in in it uh the hero of the play george um he says this in his dying breath that which can be called human in the best sense of the word is the courage to carry out the tasks in which we believe the true essence of humanity lies even though they are doomed to failure from the outset right to the end we mustn't give way mustn't back out or accommodate ourselves we must continue to be ourselves to withstand the weight of evil and opposition we must consciously take the path fate has destined for us after all it isn't so difficult the greater difficulty lies in existence without that path trying to find a direction without it so i think that dabrowski you know clearly with his philosophical background and all of the research that he'd done, he had thought he thought these things through. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, he wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't, he wasn't naive. Yeah, you know, he knew that there would probably, even though there had to have been some positive infantilism, um, infantile hope in the sense that if I can present this information to people, that maybe you know, maybe there will be uh, a breakthrough. Maybe society can make a positive change which i think we all need those kinds of positive infantile fantasies to keep mm-hmm. us going every now and then mm-hmm. uh, because that's that's but that's what he argues we should do we have to we we do what is we do courageously what is in the best of us yeah and we do it even though we know that we'll fail that it's doomed that right. the you know ice you know the the planet will be covered in ice in a thousand years or whatever mm-hmm. you know that's that's what we do. Well, even if you look back, like if you if you have heroes or people that you admire for their courageous acts, um, and you look at their histories, well, all of them were failures to in the end. Um, you know, some of my personal favorites are you know Julius Caesar, failure, you know, got assassinated, um, you know, country ended up or you know empire ended being ended up being run by you know a bunch of uh, infantile emperors. Um, Dag Hammarskjöld, you know, great UN Secretary General assassinated and look at what's look at the state of the un today right and so imagine all of your heroes all of the people that you admire and consider the fact that they're all failures ultimately they have some successes but now imagine the world without them imagine the world without any courage whatsoever without any heroes whatsoever i think that's one of the points that's from that quote from the the play that you just read out Corey, is that um you know the world without that striving and that uh, you know, even if it's tilting at will at windmills, even if it's um, futile in a sense from a certain perspective, a world without that is probably infinitely worse. And it's almost like uh, it is like a labor of Sis- Sisyphus. That's the guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where the the struggle must be engaged in, no matter what you know, no matter how hard it is, 
because that's just what we're here to do, um, or at least that's what some people are, you know, should be here to do. And um, like to not do that would be, you know, potentially to 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 abdicate oneself of or to abdicate one's responsibilities in in that matter would be to let the world fall apart. Um, and so maybe 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 it's a correct um, way of looking at it to think that without engaging in these seemingly futile behaviors, um, things will be drastically worse. You know, maybe just keeping things going that tiny little bit is actually what's keeping the world together. Mm -hmm. And um, and that, at, at the very least, should be a motivation to, to actually engage in such, such a battle. And it's, a, and it's kind of a forging a path for those who do see the value of, uh, of positive disintegration and development. Um, even if most of the world doesn't um, or is kind of on the road to uh, destruction, um, for those who do have a, a, an inkling or an essence or a, an impetus to, to act on developing oneself and, and developing higher ideals, to see other people engaged in that process, devoted to a life of being committed to that process, um, is... It's a it's a service to to other people um, because then you can you know there might be a moment of recognition uh, in inside of oneself and uh, in in noticing that the trait of those other people that uh, calls forth that bit of themselves that's been uh, buried by a lot of the the kind of uh, you know negative socialization and and status quo thinking that we're swimming in. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's kind of like there are two realities in a way and you're, you're, you're kind of asking yourself to, to choose one and commit with, commit to one. Yeah. Just, just getting back to the, the, the definition of mental health that you had in the beginning of the show, Harrison, and how, um, just morally relativistic it is you know mm -hmm. like you like you pointed out a psychopath is just as mentally healthy as the the man who works at you know who owns the grocery store in the local town mm -hmm. they you know yeah, we get might, things done he might be cope. he might be running the grocery store <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> uh, but for dabrowski you know as we've just been discussing there um there's clearly uh, no room for moral relativism in his mm -hmm. in in this uh in this theory in this philosophy because uh, these higher ideals, you know, for him were objective, and these higher good ideals, you know, they are uh, they are the you know sacrifice, and there's a recognition of good and evil, which is uh, what I think makes such a makes the, for such a barrier between the his theory, his way of thinking, and you know the many uh, counselors and and uh, specialists in in uh, you know helping gifted children. And the rest of you know the uh, intellectual arena, the you know academy, is that you know there is uh, this. Re you have to have a recognition of something higher, you know, in order to accept that there is something higher in yourself. You have to recognize that you know that there is a possibility for you know real evil and real good in the universe, you know, in order to ex you know to to really I think feel you know to. You at least you have to have that magnetism inside of you that's drawing you towards this you know idea of what's good, 
uh, and in order to accept that. Mm-hmm. There's one thing I wanted to get back to on the the little discussion on symptoms and um, you know what mental health and what mental health looks like within this perspective. And um, one of the ways that uh, that Dabrowski described positive disintegration, because that's kind of the, the central the central feature of his theory. Um, these are you know the the mental um, the mental conflicts that we come into um, you know on the path of development is that he he basically said that for in order for positive disintegration to proceed, there has to be a, an optimal level of psychoneurosis. Um, and his description of psychoneurosis was basically you know what we would consider maybe um, anxiety and depression disorders of one degree, one sort or another. Um, because if if you if the neurosis if the you know the mef- the mental difficulty that you're experiencing is too much for you to handle that can lead to psychosis suicide that would be what he'd call a negative disintegration um so that would not necess- that would be unhealthy that would be like an illness of one do- of some sort um potentially um but then then again he'd said that uh he'd probably say that there there is the potential for a psychosis to be positive that depends on the outcome, you know. If the if the if the psychosis doesn't go anywhere and it just leads to you know more disintegration, con- continued disintegration, and uh, and potentially you know death, suicide, then that would that was obviously um, not developmental. If the if the person experiencing the psychosis comes out of it and grows from it and learns something from it and you know becomes healthy, um, you know according to the terms of Dabrowski's definition. Then that was arguably a positive disintegration, um, but there's this uh, there's this um, like balancing act, right? It's like it's it's being able to handle um, handle only as much as you can handle, and to stay in that kind of op- maybe it's like a what, what's the term that uh, Peterson uses, like the zone of proximal development. Like there's this there's this zone in which um, th- this type of development is possible. Anything less, and you don't develop at all. Anything more, and um, you know you fall into a, a psychosis. So that's really um, again. There's this there's this window of opportunity that just gets um, lost and like washed out in the the common view of mental health and mental illness. Like that that window isn't isn't viewable. It's not uh, it's not visible in the current definitions. Like all you see is uh, mental illness. But within that, like that, that sphere of mental illness, there's a, there's a window in there of the of the positive mental illness that does lead to growth. That um, that at least the like psychological community community doesn't recognize um, and doesn't acknowledge, but it's there. And um, I think that the the people who experience it, um, at least the people who experience it, who have um, a sufficient degree of developmental potential, know it's there um, because they've experienced it, right? Um, they know they have the experience of having that disintegration within them, where they're you know they confront the the parts of themselves and the parts of society that um, that don't fit with you know with their ideal. They make that confrontation, they experience that confrontation, and then they forge something out of it um, through their own um, um, through their own autonomy, you know, their own through their own self. And that is a you know it's a tangible experience for the people who experience it. And maybe to just give one example to kind of um, 
to kind of give just a practical example um, uh, that I, that just came to mind a bit earlier in the show. Um, it's not anything. It's not as uh, like uh, dramatic as you know what I just said, but just an, an example of this type of um, negative or positive maladjustment, which in and its in and of itself is um, is a, a mini disintegration. I was reminded of um, you know when Jordan Peterson was talking about reading the New Testament and coming along that line in Matthew where it says that the meek shall inherit the earth. Now, if Jordan Peterson were just a you know um, a negatively adjusted individual, he would have said, "Okay, the 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 meek inherit the earth," and you know, okay, that makes sense. That I'm accepting that, and that that is true. And that's arguably what most Christians do, and even even a lot of uh, you know ex Christians or non Christians who have just been um, just grown up in that environment, in that uh, um, um, just you know, with all in that milieu, and um, just to kind of accept it. It sounds right, and and it just becomes part of the fabric of social reality. But uh, you know, Peterson looks at it and says, "Well, wait a second. You know, I don't think that's true. What does that mean? Is is there a truth in there?" So, um, what he specifically said was, "Well, well, that doesn't make well." The reason he said that didn't make sense to him is like, "Okay, well, the meek will inherit the earth. Well, meek people are weak people, and if like basically." You know, a, a person who um, is a, a pushover and doesn't stand up for themselves, doesn't stand up for what's right, necessarily. And, um, you know, how is that a good thing? Because, of course, in his clinical practice, in his personal life experience, he knows, you know, he knows that that is not a good thing. That actually, you know, that, that weak people, and like from his perspective, when, whenever he's weak, that that is reprehensible towards him. That right there is a, an internal um, disintegration and intern a maladjustment within oneself. So he looks at this uh, this phrase and says, "Okay, well, how you know what 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 would this have to mean in order for me to accept it as being true?" So he looks at the definitions and finds that actually the word for meek is actually um, you know a Greek word for what in Latin was essentially clementia or clemency, which was the description of Julius Caesar because Julius Caesar was known as known for his clemency. Well, what was Julius Caesar's clemency? Well, it was his his willingness. To um, to offer forgiveness even in the the face of you know manifest guilt, um, a person who might deserve a punishment who is then basically offered a, you know the olive branch, and I think um, you know I wasn't able to find the the definition Peterson gave for it, which was you know the ability to um, the capacity to use one sword but to keep it sheathed essentially. So like you you like a fighter who knows how to fight but who holds back and doesn't fight even though he can. And the but the definition I did find when reading through you know um, old kind of concordances and books on uh, you know ancient definitions and stuff was that the, the connotation was basically the that um, in a legal framework of uh, a person who has basically the right to prosecute but doesn't so the, the the person on the receiving end basically is guilty of something and you know if they had their just desserts they would receive a punishment but the person basically has mercy on them and doesn't doesn't uh, prosecute, doesn't uh, go ahead with whatever form of like legal punishment they can give them, or moral punishment, or like uh, justice of one sort or another. Um, so then, uh, well, and that's basically, that's why Caesar was viewed as clement, because arguably the the people acting, he, well, arguably he had reason to, um, to demand justice and the ability to mete it out, because, uh, you know, as the, as one of the, or as yeah, one of the biggest, the, one of the biggest military leaders of the time. He had he had the means um, to um, to 
demand and get justice, you know, and he would have been justified according to the rules of his society in doing so. Um, but he chose not to. He would offer the hand of forgiveness. And that makes a lot more sense. It's those types of people that will, that will inherit the earth because, first of all, they have wills of steel or iron, and so they can't be, um, they can't be bullied because they have the capacity, they have the ability to, to fight, but, they, um, but at the same time, they have a, a higher perspective. It's like, well, I have the, the ability to crush you, but I'm not going to crush you. Um, like, let's, let's work things out on a, in a different manner, in a different way. So just the, this example, so here's, here's, here's a real-world example that I think many of you are probably familiar with, having watched a, a lot of you know, Jordan Peterson lectures where he talks about this, where he doesn't just accept um, the, the idea that's presented to him. He, like, he looks at it and says, okay, well, wait a second. That doesn't seem right. That, that's the positive maladjustment. And then um, there's the... He's, but there's also the positive adjustment to what the, the actual ideal is, the actual value that he has discovered and accepted for himself through, through his own process of you know, analysis and thinking and, um, and the, the, the comparison between the, the idea, um, the, the potential value... And what he actually, you know, feels in his heart, in his own conscience, to be true and right, to be what ought to be. Um, so, yeah. And and implied in that is a willingness to be disagreeable where it's necessary to be. Mm -hmm. uh, but it but it also requires um, the ability to make distinctions in every situation, and not to not to be kind of rote or dogmatic about. Um, one's acts or one or one's decisions to give everything it's due um so certainly if if we're you know if we're reading an idea or a political position um we we want to we want to question it as much as possible so that the what, what's being said uh makes sense on other levels we want to connect as many dots in our in our minds as we can so that you know it's 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 a kind of a as much as possible a foolproof understanding of something and and when that understanding becomes more or less uh solidified um then i i think we can um we can still remain open to the possibility that it's not correct at a later time should more information come through uh but it can certainly uh assist us in 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 growing our understanding of certain things and and building on top of that yeah, I think that's a very uh, good point, but the connection between information and disintegrations and how you can go through many different kinds of positive disintegration, uh, different periods where, as you know, Jordan Peterson has discussed it before, where you, he, he called it an ego death. You mm -hmm. can voluntarily go through an ego death by learning a great deal of information and then succumbing to an ego death, but there he discussed other ways that you can go through it, uh, one primarily through... Um, you know, being betrayed by someone, which is in its, you know, someone that you love, which is also a, a form of information that you're getting. But um, when you consciously are out seeking uh, information and testing that information, I think that goes right back to what we uh, discussed before um, about, you know, building the, the castle of the self, um, the building, the mind, is that you are, you uh you are testing it, you know, you, you're fabricating this, um, 
this mind based on information. What you put in through your information is, you know, is directly impacting your mental health, you know, fundamentally. I wanted to give one more example. This is a more general example of um, kind of internal adjustment and maladjustment and uh, an example of the multi-levelness of human nature that uh, Dabrowski shows in his books. One of the examples that Tillier gives uh, in his book is the, um, let's say, the, like the instinct of self-preservation. So just like um, psychoneurosis or you know symptoms or any of these features, there are levels to everything essentially. So there's levels to um, instincts, and of course, you know at the at the basic level, self-preservation is pretty obvious. You know, you uh, try to stay alive and you do whatever you can to uh, keep it that way. But at a higher level, like there is a, a higher level of self-preservation, and that would be um, the preservation of oneself as a unique personality. So it's no it's not necessarily the well it isn't the preservation of one's, you know, bodily integrity. It's the preservation of the structure of one's consciousness, the that hierarchy of values um, primarily. And so that becomes the most important thing. Um, well that becomes more important than just the self-preservation of one's body. So um, whereas we could say that the individual at, uh, at, a, at a low level is adjusted to you know, that, um, that conception of self-preservation, the preservation of one's body, at a higher level, um, the, the individual becomes um, potentially maladjusted to that self-preservation instinct and adjusted to the instinct to preserve one's personality over one's body um, when given the choice. So... A lot of people, um, well, most people, the vast majority, do not have a personality. So when faced with the, the choice between the two, they will, um, they will give in and um, betray their um, ideals, however weakly held they are, um, in order to preserve their body. Um, a true personality, a, true, you know, a truly developed individual, um, will, um, uh, well, will potentially die in order to preserve... Uh, well, die if not dying means um, violating um, or destroying some aspect of that uh, that personality structure that they have developed um, over their lifetimes. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, again that that's um, I think essentially that's what Jordan Peterson has been arguing for um, all these years when he talks about um, Nazi Germany and the and the Soviet Union mm -hmm. is um, you know when you find yourself in the well it. He he's been doing what he does, and he did what he did, um, like for himself primarily to start out with, to because he asks himself the question is like, well, how would I behave in that situation? You know, would I be weak? Well, if I'm honest with myself, I probably would be, because the vast majority of people are weak. And so, what should I do so that when faced with that potentiality, when potentially faced with that actuality? What should I do so that that never happens? So that I am strong, and so that I don't succumb to the the social pressure, you know, so that I don't fall into negative adjustment. Um, and you know, what is that process? Well, you know, that's what we've been talking about. That reminds me a little bit of the story of uh, is it Sophie Shaw during World War II, mm -hmm. um, who was a, a young woman who basically went head to head with the 
bureaucratic machine of Nazi Germany uh, in handing out leaflets denouncing Nazism uh, and, and was tried in a kangaroo court um, for her actions, even though she knew that it was probably going to happen. She did it anyway, and I think ultimately she was either jailed or executed. Yeah, she was killed. She was killed ultimately, right? And um, and with her, was it her husband or her brother, Hans? Her brother. her brother. Yeah, that was a great movie. Great uh, movie. Sophie Scholl, I'm not sure how historically accurate it was, but uh, I think it was before her brother was executed. His last and final words were freedom. <laughs> was that right? Remember? I when don't. It, I don't recall specifically. Well, if it was, if it wasn't, then then my memory is better than the, the actual movie was because that was awesome. <laughs> but it, it also kind of suggests an alignment that she and, and others have had with, uh, you know, if, if you consider the mind or the personality as almost a non-local uh, thing as well as a, a, a um, an individual thing connected to, you know, in, in aspiring to higher ideals and values, uh, you're in some way, I think it's possible to say that you're aligning yourself with universal mm-hmm. uh, principles um, that are so powerful and, and true and real and good and, and constructive that, that um, when, when a person comes to embody those values, you get a person like a, a Sophie Scholl um, or a Dag uh, Hammerschold or, or a Martin Luther King Jr. or a, or a John F. Kennedy. Um, and you know, I don't know how practical it is to, <laughs> to, to want to reach to such, to, to such heights in a sense, but, um, but certainly, uh, we, we can look at Dabrowski's work and, and we can, uh, see what values we want to aspire to for ourselves and, um, and even be willing and, and open to engage in the process of the difficult work of, of, honesty and, and noticing how we fall short in certain areas and, and um, in, the, in the hopes and in the faith uh, and in the process of, of attaining a, a higher self or being mm-hmm. a better you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not being afraid, I guess, of, the, of disintegration. So, yeah. Um, because, you know, I mean, it's, it's really, I think, pretty fascinating, just the, the subjects that we've been discussing, how a disintegration can radically change the world that you're living in. I mean, you can, if you go, if you are afraid of a disintegration because you don't want change or because you think that it'll be too painful, you know, you think about, uh, you know, the, some of the discussions that we've been having, you know, like about Jordan Peterson, about, you know, the disintegrative experience that, that he underwent, you know, and the choice that he made and how it changed him and how, if he hadn't gone through those kinds of experiences, you know, the kind of life that he'd live, the kind of life that we would all live, you know, the, it's a uh, disintegration is really like opening up a door to a new reality. And it mm-hmm. doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad one, you know, uh, especially considering the fact that, you know, when you're uh, acquiring information and, you know, discerning whether it's true or not, that you are undergoing a positive disintegration by learning, you know, even if it's a small, even if it's slightly painful, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't have to be a global disintegration that everything is, you know, falling into chaos. But, you know, those, I think the, probably the worst disintegrations come to people who don't, who don't undertake that kind of a process. And mm-hmm. then reality just shows up one day and smacks yeah. them to the ground and says, you were wrong about everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now there's weeping and gnashing of the teeth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that comes back to the discussion we had on the book Insight, you know, what did she call them? Like earthquakes or something like that? Yeah. 
But uh, maybe one final thing before we wrap up for today. Um, I want to go into the realm of uh, speculation and tie this back to, was it the last show we did before we ended the year on uh, consciousness and the, the book uh, Consciousness, Anatomy of the Soul? Right. And um, just to throw out the possibility that perhaps um, this process of you know creating this kind of adamantine personality structure, this hierarchy of values, um, that is um, whole, you know, complete, unified, and indestructible, that perhaps there is, just like in that book, like a hyperspatial correlate of that, that what you're actually doing is, um, on that hyperspatial level, creating uh, like a, a structure that, is, that has um, its own like unique qualities, and perhaps... Like uh, so the the individual, like the hypothetical individual I gave that uh, you know caves under pressure, perhaps that descro- destroys the structure, and or you know introduces some fatal weakness into that structure that um that destroys like well its integrity and its uh its um, survivability, um you know its ability to preserve itself. So maybe at uh, the this higher level of self preservation is actually the the preservation of a higher level structure that still um you know, that can live on, that it is this immaterial structure that, um, you know, you may lose your body, but, um, you know, you might also lose your soul, but you might lose your body and, but perhaps you get a chance to keep your soul if you create it, if you forge it, um, into the shape, um, into a shape that is, um, uh, robust enough to survive whatever goes on in that abstract mathematical realm. <laughs> Just wanted to throw that out there as a final parting shot. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. Well, everybody, I guess that does it for us this week. Happy New Year. Thanks for coming back and tuning in. Uh, tune in next week. And But as far as the rest of the shows go, listen to the Health and Wellness Show. That's going to be coming up next week on Friday. And then listen to Newsreel with Joe and Neil on Sunday. Thank you very much. Have a great week, and we will see you again soon. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening.